You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for missionaries and leaders living out their God-given calling through this small expression of the church. This podcast is meant to encourage, equip, and contribute to the overall discussion of this smaller way. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for people brave enough to be small. This is your host, Tommy Wilkerson. And in this episode or in this series, we are looking at frequently asked questions of microchurch leaders. And so instead of uh, me maybe talking to one person and that person kind of being our resident expert, I've decided for this season that I want to open the door for real microchurch leaders within our network to answer some of the questions that people grapple with as they come to us about microchurches. And so this first question is a matter of holding each other accountable in mission. How do we actually do that and do that well? Uh, And so in another episode, we're going to get into the tension that maybe some microchurches feel around trying to care for their team as they're engaged in mission. Uh, But in this particular episode, we are looking at how do we hold each other accountable in mission? How do we prevent ourselves from just devolving into being a super sexy small group? Uh, and I'm super excited because I am joined by Jeremy Stevens, Lucas Pulley, and Bill Kokenhauer. Uh, just the absolute dream team. Guys, thank you so much for hopping on this episode. Thanks for having us. Good to be with you. Thanks, man. Of course. And so, I mean, Jeremy, Lucas, people know you guys, but Bill, you are a new guest to the podcast. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself, talk about what you do. And uh, yeah, I don't know anything that you want to share. Sure. I'm uh, honored to be here. Actually, um, grateful to kind of sit and listen to you guys a bit too, maybe throw in a little bit. But uh, yeah, when my wife and I uh, moved back to Florida, uh, it was Alan Hirsch that said, I need, need to connect you with the best church. He called it the best church in America. Uh, best expression of the church. And so, yeah, we've been honored to be part of the underground for about eight years. My sort of day job or co-vocational ministry, I work with Exponential and Leadership Network and uh, really pressing into kingdom-based multiplication. And uh, so, yeah, it's been, it really is an honor to be here and grateful to be with you guys. Yeah. And so uh, as we kind of begin this episode, It just occurs to me that, you know, this particular question, I think, is something that maybe any microchurch can experience or deal with. Right. So uh, for those of us who are familiar with starting things, you know that there's a certain amount of energy that gets applied to moving from zero to one. Uh, You take steps and you do things in order to get something going. And then once that thing is off the ground, it's easy to kind of take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit and just sort of coast. So I can see this being something that applies not just to house church models, but maybe any microchurch. But there is a way that when people are asking this question, they're asking it almost in the context of the house church or the more distributive incubator microchurch setting. Uh, How do you hold each other accountable in mission? And so I guess to me, first and foremost, it's important to define mission. What do we mean when we say that? Uh, because it is it is easy to kind of have a, a fallacy of equivocation there. And so I'd be curious for you guys uh, as practitioners, as leaders, as people who like do a lot of thinking and speaking on this subject, how would you all define mission? What are we talking about when we say holding each other accountable in mission? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my quick attempt at, at this is uh, ministry is kind of like 
ministering to one another or the love one another passages, kind of community. And mission requires sentness, which mission is something at the edge of the kingdom or on the other side of the street from like where the kingdom is being manifested. So it's to the least and to the lost. It's the one sheep that Jesus leaves the 99 for. It's it's the poor that are forgotten at the margins, the prisoner and the hungry. So this requires sentness. It necessitates us being sent from here to there. And that's where I would say that that's mission, edges of the kingdom, the least and the lost. Ministry to Christians who are broken and hurting is a good thing, but I would categorize that as love one another, and it, that would, for us, for me, would fall underneath community, not mission. Mm-hmm. That's my short, short answer on that. Yeah, I agree. Great job, Jeremy. Victory. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> than Jeremy's. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy dominated. I just, I just add in that that sentence piece being so critical. Uh, you know, even if it's a big piece for our community. You know, like do doing mission in response to this kind of vertical interaction with the Lord. Doing mission out of a place of calling and um, out of a place of like obedience. And I'm just reminded of that Romans uh, passage that talks. How are they going to call on him if they haven't believed? How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't preach to them? And it doesn't stop right there. It says, how is somebody going to preach to them unless they are sent? You know, so it's like that last, the last domino there, you know, the origin of mission Mm -hmm. is that sentence. So I totally agree. And I was just, you mentioned calling. That was the other piece that I was going to mention. There's a, the, the, there's a, a calling, a sense of, um, of who am I sent to that I think um, drives a lot of mission. There's a, a passion that um, gets you through difficult times. Uh, sometimes is what makes it difficult, you know, too, because uh, yeah, but there are right. people that God breaks your heart for. Yeah, it's so good. And I mean, maybe with that, uh, that does, I mean, I think what's helpful about that, too, as you guys have defined it, 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 it's one, we're not necessarily talking about um, ways to do mission as much as it's a framework to understand mission. And so it's kind of the essence and maybe there's tools that kind of get at that ways that that expresses itself um, or ways that people can, I don't know, join in the mission of God as they have been sent uh, that I think is important. And so I think that is helpful as we wrestle with this question, but even as, you know, we were having a conversation about, you know, just the role of accountability. And I think one, in the time that we live in, to talk about accountability uh, is just uh, antithetical to our time and to our culture, right? Why do I, why should I answer to you? And so the, we were talking about that and, you know, uh, we're going to get into ways to do this. But, you know, part of the question that I was wrestling with is, well, why is accountability important as it relates to mission? And so some of that has to do with sentness, right? As you guys have mentioned, like if you are sent by God to do something, then it's probably important that you actually like do that thing. Just saying obedience matters. But, you know, Jeremy, you actually hit on something really interesting in our conversation about this is that it's not necessarily why accountability is important as much as the form of accountability that matters. And so I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I think there's different forms of accountability. Some are like, I would react equally uh, as maybe the world does to toxic accountability. Um, so 
there's ways in which authority is expressed through position, where you power up on somebody because you're in the position over them. There's ways that you power up on somebody or have a <clears throat> exercise authority or accountability uh, because you're physically stronger than them, or you could manipulate them in some kind of way. But then there's the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is not the way of the Gentiles. It's the, the way of the servant. It's the way of the slave, the way of the sacrifice. And so you you exercise authority and accountability because you're the servant of all. Uh, so, so we have to get into a conversation about authority and the exercise of authority because accountability is a form of authority and it's a form of submission. Okay, so if I'm making somebody submit to me because I'm physically stronger, that's abuse or potentially abuse, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess if it's a two-year-old walking out in the street, I'm going to snatch him up and be like, you can't go in the street. It's not really abusive. But, you know, to a full-grown man, hey, man, you know, you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> go, go go, kiss that car. I don't care. Um, the other people on this podcast are better Christians than I am. <clears throat> uh, I'm just saying, as, as we're trying to hold people accountable for mission, I probably shouldn't use my physical okay. power to to hold somebody accountable. I also shouldn't use my positional place. Like I'm the elder of this microchurch or I'm your spiritual father or, and, and, and kind of like employ those, those like passive aggressive kind of manipulative techniques. So it's, it's really about accountability is an exercise of authority and it is a discipline of submission. Right. So, and there's again, ways in which we can, we do need to exercise the authority through accountability and we do need to have the discipline of submission so that we are accountable. But what are the forms in which that takes that reflects the kingdom and, um, and John 13 essentially versus like the ways of the Gentile tyranny, those categories Um, just because accountability is an exercise of authority doesn't mean it's toxic. Like authority by itself is not implicitly toxic, but it, it can be mm-hmm. like we, we can exercise it in weird and toxic ways. We can become Pharisees and make, you know, sons of hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. Um, so, you know, Joe Myers wrote Organic Community, Search to Belong, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, uh, kind of uh, most known for sort of bringing the idea of proxemics into the Christian world, and we develop relationships in intimate, personal, social, and public space. But, um, I, and I don't remember if this is in his writing or if he if, if he said this, but he said I have I had an accountant, you know, who always was telling me where I went wrong. You know, it was it, it, very specific and where I went wrong. And he said in writing one of his first manuscripts he sent in, and he said when I got it back, it was just it looked like she bled all over it. That there was just like she wrote more words in red and, you know, line stuff out and stuff than I had written originally, you know, and that was kind of the impression he got. And he went back to her and said, you, you didn't like this. And, you know, I, you know, why, why, why not? And she's like, oh, I loved it. I loved it. And went on to say that um, it's, it's your book. My job is to help you make it the best that it can be. My role is to make it the best that you can be. And so he started talking about, I would prefer editability over accountability. But that's a little bit at odds with what you, or is it, Jeremy, with what you were just saying about the authority part of it? No, I mean, I think an editor does have authority, you know, um, 
they they do modify. They do. This is a a thing that you submit to, and there probably is some type of breaking point, even in you know contractual agreements between editor and author. Like to some degree, you do have to listen to the editor. Also, there's some suggestions, you know, wise suggestions, and others are completely optional, right? So, mm-hmm. and maybe that's some of the nuance of the accountability piece. Like, hey, hey, guys, we need to listen to Jesus here. That's not really negotiable or optional. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to participate in his missio day, his mission, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, I have some suggestions maybe on like, hey, you're trying to reach your friends. I have some suggestions, but, you know, you don't have to take them. They might be wise suggestions even, you know. And then there here's some optional things. I'm just throwing things against the wall, seeing what sticks, you know. But if we all lump that in to the category of you have to follow Jesus, you know, my stupid optional kind of like suggestions get lumped in as the accountability to follow Jesus. I think that's where we get like really off the rails. And um, so I think it's a good example um, of there, there is authority being exercised by an editor. And then there's also nuance there to be had where there's stuff that's not really negotiable and you're going to be held accountable for it. But then there's also probably a lot of negotiable things that come with that territory. Yeah. yeah I think that it's the shift in the posture from I'm sitting here waiting to catch you do something wrong, as opposed to I'm here to help you um, in any yeah. way I live out mm-hmm. the, live out your sentence, live out your calling. Yeah. yeah. I oftentimes perceive like biblical accountability much more in the coaching kind of realm. Yeah. You know. That, that, that's how, that's what helps me. That's a modern framework that I might go, okay, that helps me maybe understand my role. Yeah. Versus like policeman or something like mm-hmm. I, I have to police you and give you a ticket. Yeah. Which is really good because I mean, we're going to, I mean, I imagine we'll get into a conversation about coaching and peer coaching and all of that. Uh, because Jeremy, I know that's been something that you do in your microchurch. You have done in your microchurches in the past. Um, but yeah, I guess as we talk about this question of accountability and mission and yeah, just even, you know, defining those terms and talking about just kind of the spectrum of accountability, I've, I guess I'm curious how this maybe particular question or tension has come to bear in your life as microchurch leaders. Like as you have tried to lead microchurches uh, and have led microchurches, the the role of accountability and the form of accountability and mission and uh how you've done it, if you've done it. Yeah. What has that tension looked like for you? The tension is you have somebody who's sitting and eating your brownies and they never do anything for Jesus in the world. (laughs) They come every week and they eat my more brownies, bro. You've had enough. Go do something. Listen to all the conversations. Yeah. And Yeah. They're welcome too. Yeah. But that is attention, right guys? Like it's, it's like, yeah, they're there, they're participating, but not really because they're not engaged in mission. They're not participating in the full life of the church, but that, that, that is a very real dynamic. You get those people that show up and consume even the micro church environment. Um, And, and then it's like, how do you hold them accountable? How do you nudge them? How do you coach them? And that, I think that's where, you know, the people that want to be coached, that seems, 
that seems very easy. I mean, they're looking for it, you know? Um, I think where it becomes difficult for me in my experience is the, is the folks who just, they just want to consume still. They want to spectate even the microchurch environment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think, again, it's almost like that previous conversation we just came out of. It's sort of unearthing a little bit the way that like the words accountability and submission, the assumptions around those words now versus like what the maybe highest and best intentions of those words were in the ancient Near East, like in, in the scriptures and should be now. And, um, and yeah, the reason why those words feel complicated right now sometimes is because they're, they exist in, 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 within assumptions around command and control and power. When I think their intention was that those words existed in love and servanthood. And um, mm-hmm. that's part of what we were talking about a minute ago. But I think another one of the assumptions is that when people say accountability and submission, typically right now, what they do is they assume that that's like a one um, person to person, one person to one person, le- leader to follower dynamic, um, like interpersonal between two people. And at what we're always trying to create is communities that are in mutual submission to one another. And I'm not, I'm not being held accountable by this one person. I'm accountable to this community. And, and what that should create in like a live kind of conversational dynamic is that everybody cares. Like everybody's trying to participate in the accountability conversation. Everybody's trying to like encourage, everybody's trying to equip, everybody's, um, and, and that causes attention too. You know, I, I just think so. So some of it's like some of the tension, a lot of the tension is just around people's assumptions around those words. Right. So some people are like, Oh, this feels weird because they're, they're assuming what that means is command and control and consequences. And that's not what we're meaning. Um, sometimes the weirdness comes because one or two people just are, would rather sit and consume brownies for years and years and years and never actually like, um, jump in. And you're trying to figure out what to do about that. And at what point to escalate maybe is the right word. Like, how do you, how do you push, you know, how do you, uh, it's like a failure to launch kind of situation. And I think sometimes the other dynamic is the, is the one-to-one, you know, the, the, whoever's coordinating or facilitating or whatever the room, that person is never trying to create these one-to-one kind of accountability dynamics, but the room can fall into that so easily so that the facilitator or coordinator like is always trying to invite other voices in or try to reframe the conversation as a communal conversation. Like it's not just me. Um, and again, and the only way that that works is if all of this accountability um, and mutual encouragement and equipping and coaching, it's, it's coaching, you know, toward mission is coming off of the back of at some point there being a communal commitment to do this together, like a verbalized together, like this is who we're going to be um, in a very clear way. Like we're all committing to be this kind of community. So then you can always like refresh back to that. Hey, remember when we all said we were going to, so we're, we're, we're accountable to and one it, and another. It's a we all, we all like we we're all accountable to one another and we're holding you accountable not to something that we put on you, but to something you told us you aspire to do and be. That's why it's love. 
It's like we would be we would not be loving you if we just like let you fall into a version of yourself that you you told us you don't want to be. But you you we together looked each other in the eyes and verbalized like this is who Jesus is leading us to be individually and as a community. And we're going to be engaged collectively in that formation process, you know. So I think the communal thing is hard sometimes, like encouraging that. You guys do hit on something really interesting that, I mean, I don't want to like bypass, but it does seem like a, a real tension that, uh, that yeah, I could see microchurch leaders facing that the whole like you have someone who's in your group who just comes for the brownies uh, and isn't really Praise trying God. to do anything. Yes. And on, the, on one hand, you want to love them. You want to have them yep. around. They're more than welcome. They're part of the, the community in a way, yep. right? Yep. Uh, but there is a way. I remember, I don't know if it was um, extreme ownership or if it was the dichotomy of leadership. It might not have been either of those books. But talking about how leadership and culture isn't just what you celebrate, but it's also what you tolerate. And so if you allow this person to just kind of be a lame duck... Uh, who doesn't really do anything that will have some sort of effect on the culture of the microchurch, I imagine. And so then maybe in a culture of accountability where everybody in the microchurch is participating in the, the holding one another accountable to mission in a way uh, that person maybe feels uh, outnumbered. It might feel like, oh, let's, let's get in pairs and share how your two hours a week. This went this week, you know, and do some peer coaching. And then they're like, twiddling their thumbs the whole time uh it does you know but they came for the group it's like if the group is about this thing they're welcome to be a part of it but we're not going to pretend we're not about mission and coaching each other and having these type of conversations um i i think they yeah i think there's a way to really still hold the value of it and even incorporate it in your times, even when you have, I mean, visitors, we'll have visitors to our microchurch. Mm. And it's like, Hey man, you're from LA, you're a visitor and you're hanging out, but we're doing peer coaching tonight. So guess what? You're with these three other dudes. And yeah. <laughs> like, this is what we do, man. <laughs> There's no way around it. it. You know, you may just have to sit there, you know, I don't know. Um, well, no, I, and that's so good. And I think what is, uh, just for the listener, later in the season, we will get into rule of life in microchurch and what that looks like. And so, uh, I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had around that uh, that I think is really important. And, and Lucas kind of teased out some really great thoughts there. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that kind of gets us into this question. That, and maybe the tension or the thing that I feel is that... Uh, yeah, how do we do this? How do we actually practice accountability in microchurches? And maybe that's uh, around mission in microchurches. And I guess that's the question of the episode. But like, I, I guess as I was thinking about it, the term that came to me was like grace-filled accountability. Like, because there is a way to do accountability that is legalism. That is like you mentioned, Jeremy, it's me powering up on you. Or uh, there's a way that like uh, a person can feel like, oh man, my salvation is contingent on whether or not I had this conversation with the person at the water cooler this week or whatever. And there, there can be lots of shame in that. And so that's not right. But then at the same time, neither is like ignoring the fact that, yeah, you were asked to do something. You felt led by the Holy Spirit to do something. And you either deliberately or 
unintentionally disobeyed that prompting. And so what are you going to do? What are you going to do for next time? Why did that happen? What's the resistance? And so I was just curious, as you guys have led microchurches, um, how have you found ways to practice graceful accountability when it comes to mission? Yeah, I think the, I think if it's responsive commitments to the Holy Spirit, I think that really opens up what we mean by accountability, the follow-up, the follow-up to it. Um, so what do you think Jesus wants you to do? You know, like that's the, that's the question that drives kind of everything. And it's okay if people go, I don't know. It's also okay if people go, I think maybe this, it's okay if people are wrong in it, but they're trying to respond to the voice of the shepherd in something, you know, in their, in their lives. And so then it becomes about like asking them how they obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, it decenters us as the primary kind of, you should do this. It decenters us from the, you know, you need to look like me. It's like, no, you need to do whatever the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. <laughs> and so it already just the initial questions and what they're trying to respond to, if it's God or at least it's they're they're hoping that it, it's the voice of God. That already clears up a lot. That that already I think makes it much more uh, grace based or yeah. grace available yeah. accountability, because now it's like okay, what 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 does that mean? Um, you know, in the follow up, how has that gone? And then of course, if they they have done it, great. Jesus doesn't love them any more or less, you know. And if they haven't done it great. Jesus doesn't love them anymore. Like this is, this is a way of discipleship. Accountability leads us, I think, into the discipleship where it's, it's like you, the cross of Jesus and the effectiveness of his resurrection is for you today was just like yesterday, just like tomorrow. And I think that conversation comes up uh, quite often. Like he loved, he loves you. That's not, that's not what we're asking. That's not the question that I'm asking. The question that I'm asking is how are you responding to his voice? And now, now we could talk about that. Um, that was one of the most uh, profound um, impacts on me. I think coming to the underground, you know, eight years ago was um, there's it's so much more than just the words that you, I mean, everything you said about we trust the Holy Spirit to lead people in microchurch. You hear that in a lot of circles, but there's still, it's kind of layered on as icing with what we're going to tell you we really think you should do. And, Mostly. <laughs> yeah. And, and coming to the underground, you know, I remember, you know, I came to the underground before we had coaches. And part of the reticence of having coaches was we didn't want other people imposing their will, um, you know, on what a microchurch should do. Correct. And, um, yeah, not just really, uh, I mean, that, that faithfulness to really trust the Holy spirit, I, I, it is a significant distinctive of the underground that I've, uh, you know, that I have, you know, um, at least for me. 
And then that, like you were saying, Jeremy, the posture that creates then for how you, I mean, that's a totally, because it's not my program I'm holding you accountable to. Yeah. It's not my will. It's not my direction that I'm holding you accountable to. I'm helping you live out what the Holy Spirit's calling you to do. Yeah. It, just to follow that up, Bill, I, I think sometimes I'll even press into, in my follow-up, I'll say, man, let's just take a minute. Like if I'm in a group setting or something, I was like, man, let's just take a minute. And the Holy Spirit's going to really highlight where you were misaligned. So like you did it or you didn't do it. But mm-hmm. does that if you didn't do it, does that mean you were actually disobedient? I don't know. You should ask the Holy Spirit about that. So like even in the follow-up saying, no, no, let's let's try to hear from God. Like let's be convicted of laziness by God, not because I'm asking you questions. Let's be convicted of disobedience from Jesus from the Father, who's kind to discipline his children. Mm-hmm. But but even taking that space too. So um, you know, not not every time, but that that would be a consistent piece of that kind of follow-up time is like just just because you did or did not do a thing, or because it did or did not work, or because I'm asking you a question, doesn't mean you should be convicted by that. That comes from the spirit who illuminates truth, you know. So anyway, so kind of bookending that. We're like, yeah, the beginning, but also maybe the even the, the follow up in the end. Like we should be accountable to Jesus ultimately. So, yeah, I was just going to say, like in the short run, this conversation we're having, like in the short run, obviously it it helps like with the health and vitality of the microchurch. It helps with discipleship stuff, like grounding people in identity and God's love and all that kind of stuff. But long term, like if you think of like the 5, 10, 15, 20 year generational effect of leading, essentially this thing, like this type of accountability are the seeds of leadership development. Like if 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 people aren't encouraged to like listen to Jesus and and be and respond to Jesus and discern like debrief that experience and discernment with the spirit and hear from the Lord. And, and if we get in the way of that, if we hijack that in some way and make it about our, our expectations and, and, you know, uh, a little bit of legalism or something like that, or listen to us or our ideas, it actually affects their ability to like, listen to like lead, listen to the Lord and like, launch something, lead something in the future, you know? So I just, I just think it's just like a little side note thing, but all these conversations about like multiplication and church planting and viral, you know, all this kind of yeah. stuff. If those conversations land on tools, they're dead in the water. <clears throat> That's not tools. Don't do it. Like, yeah. the voice of the Lord, like people, I remember Alan Roxburgh wrote a book many years ago on like, I think missional community was in the, this was, this was in like late, late, right before 2010, I think. And I think it was on missional communities, I think was in the title of the book. I just remember 150 page book or something like that. But he had one sentence at the end of a chapter that basically just said, uh, the way to awaken the people of God to like release the priesthood of all believers and see revival in the West is helping people listen to Jesus again. Like that sentence could could basically just sum up the whole book, right? Like it's 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 almost like when when we don't see multiplication, 
to some degree, it's because people have stopped listening to Jesus in that area of their life or something like that. They've like closed a part of their ear. <laughs> you know, I'll listen to Jesus about my family and my and my um, marriage and my finances and that kind of stuff. But this little part of my ear that's supposed to listen to him about my kingdom contribution and my destiny in that area, I'm just not listening. Um, so I just think it's, it has, it has long-term effects too, that have nothing to do with your microchurch right now. Like in, in that person's life has long-term effects. What's the role? I mean, I always, I come back to calling. I mean, this is a lot of what, uh, I, I find myself pressing back into, you know, the idea that Ephesians 2.10 was meant for everybody. The idea that the great commission was meant for everybody. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, in some of the settings um, with Exponential Leadership Network, you know, helping churches, you know, really want to see eliminate the this artificial divide, clergy lady divide that we have, yeah. you know, that we're all it. And it seems like helping people hear, hear their call, hear who God's called to. And I've heard, I think it was Brian's talk about that understanding we're called by God is one of the most intimate connections that we can have with God. Yes, yes. And and that leaning it seems like it's important or is it how important do you guys see it as leaning into that piece of it that calling that identification in helping them to help hold ca- people accountable to what what cuz that seems to be where the passion comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would if I'm hearing you right Bill, I I just think yeah, we we helping helping people hear a calling. And I think there's ways we could break it down from like really very specific things, but also really general things. So it's just like, man, like this week when you go to work, what is God asking you to do? So it's not, it's not like save the world and it's not even get up on my desk and preach the gospel. It's just like, you're listening to his voice to do something at your workplace this week. And maybe share the gospel, but it also could be just like, I just need to go. And during my break, I'm going to pray for five minutes, Yeah, you know, just once this week or whatever. So there's this huge spectrum of like what it means to be called. And then it's like, I we're called to like help women coming out of the sex industry, like something super radical is going to be like this, you know, nonprofit developing thing, you know, in the world, it's huge spectrum. And I find all of it is basically the same question. Yeah. Just man, like tomorrow. What, what do you feel like Jesus is asking you? He's inviting you. And I think you're right. There's this intimacy, intimacy in joining Jesus and his purposes. And But but it starts with like, what's he calling you to do? What's he inviting you to do? It's a it's an intimate invitation to join his purposes. Um, but I, I would just say that, man, doing that in the small and in the big, like doing it all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like everything. You know, with your kids this next week, what is what is God inviting you into this next week with your children? Every everything, everything. So I think the more that we lean into that, then it becomes more and more natural to when it's like take time for the big risks or the big kind of like moments and that that kind of make the newsletters, that make the videos, that make the podcasts. You know, those type of moments, those type of callings. It's like, but I think those are the foundation of those are. But I've been asking Jesus what I should do for like years mm-hmm. in like all these really small ways. Mm-hmm. And I get most of it wrong, but, <laughs> but he's good to me anyways, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. Also, I I just think like these. Um, if if you have some, it doesn't have to be every week. I mean, maybe for some it should be, but um, if you have these kind of collective conversations that that are sort of they're they're communal accountability, communal support, sometimes communal brainstorming or think tanking. Like if people feel stuck and they just need like to collect wisdom from the community on a certain situation, having those kinds of conversations in in a repeated fashion. Um, it does a it does a couple things. I mean, we've alluded to this earlier, but it assumes the baseline of the community is activated in mission, and the outliers are going to be the ones who aren't. Instead of what is more common is the other way around. Um, so it kind of sets it sets a different tone. But the other thing is like when you're having these conversations, and the people go and they pray in their break room, or they um, they they try to have a conversation, or they try to have like an active service, they try to get into people's lives or something like that, and it doesn't go well. Yes, I think I think when 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 it's the other way around, and the outliers are the missionaries, and you're not talking about it that much, and that's the base, that's the assumptions or the the culture of the community when it's not talked about repetitively typically when it does get talked about is when things go well. And so that creates a culture. It's like, it's worth talking about when thi- when I have like a celebration to share or something like that. But if things- Victory if, of if, God. Totally. But when Angelic people- visitation in my workplace. <laughs> but when people are faithful and it doesn't go, it doesn't have the results that they expected or results that seem worth sharing or something like that. They don't, they're not going to go share that with their community. They're not going to like interrupt the community and say, hey, I've got this great story to tell you. So that stuff goes unsaid and not sharing that stuff sets culture. And so being able to have these repetitive conversations where people have to share the, um, the good, the bad, and the, the ugly, good, all the bad and the simple and the normal and the benign and all that kind of stuff. What is it? What it does is it, it releases the fear of failure a little bit, which you it's kind of hard to come at a fear of, of failure directly. You, it, it's almost like a byproduct of something else, you know, like it's it's hard to just relieve people of their fear of failure by talk going straight at it. So having these repetitive conversations over time and people just talking openly about how things didn't go well, um, it can over time relieve a fear, fear of failure. But the other thing is it helps people um, discern well when God is pleased with them, because, you know, they, I think people can, so they can start to wonder if they heard the Lord, if it didn't go well, you know? Um, and again, that's bad for their discipleship. Uh, if they start losing a confidence in the voice of the Lord and, so because the they did hear them, but it they didn't totally go well. did. Yes. But so it's, it it's, didn't go well. doesn't mean it's negated. A hundred percent. So it's really good for the community to come around a person and be like, Hey, even though that person slammed the door in your face or something like that, or nobody came, you, you tried to do this Bible study in your break room and nobody came or, you know, whatever it was like, even though you, you feel like that was a failure, like we're, we're telling you that that was an act of faithfulness that, yeah. Like you, that, God is pleased with. We we're well, confirming that, to you yeah. that God is pleased. You know, yeah. that's a huge part of it, right, Lucas? Like the 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 community basically identifying where Jesus is at work. Yes. like it's hard for the individual sometimes to like really acknowledge and see it accurately. Yeah. God is at work, or even see the victories. Like it, but it it takes a community, mm-hmm. even in the failure. Yeah, I yeah. think you're totally right about that. Yeah, I mean that gets at. 
maybe a few, a, a question about peer coaching that I did have. Uh, but before diving into that, I mean, it feels like, um, I don't know, it feels like we're having kind of a meta conversation about accountability and I think it's helpful and it's good. I think I wonder if, you know, at the risk of, I don't know, taking it somewhere maybe we're not supposed to, just almost getting a little bit more concrete. And the question of like, you know, but what do you do when someone doesn't do what they said they were going to do? You know, like if someone says like, yeah, I think Jesus wants me to do blank this week. And then you come back the next week and you ask them about it and they're like, I didn't do it. Uh, It's like, okay, well, once again, what does grace filled accountability uh, or grace available accountability look like in that situation? Like, I think, yeah. I think it feels like Tommy's really gentle way to say that I've given you guys 50 minutes. This is such a great example of oh, way of affirming us, but yes. trying to get us to eventually yeah. answer the question that he asked at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, Tommy's trying That's to right. keep us accountable right now. Tommy's trying to keep us to what we committed to. Um. Well, I think I think one of the bad ways to handle that if somebody if somebody says, yeah, that thing that I felt like the Lord was leading me to do last week and I said that I didn't do it and they kind of disclose that. I think the bad thing to do is say it's just like passive aggressively move on, which I I think I've seen in a lot of communities. It's just kind of like everybody kind of sits quietly and they say, all right, who's next? Uh, Let's go over to Jim, you know, or something. So, um you know, but but I think there's a way to do it without being punitive or kind of trying to bring like like arbitrary consequences or something like that. It's I I think the maybe the best way to go about that conversation is just trying to unearth barriers, like you know, um, confirming like Jeremy said earlier, confirming that they that they still feel like the Lord is leading them to do that. Or did you did you? Yeah, feel, it's like you, forensics. Yeah, you do yeah. Some forensics. Like, yeah. Okay. Did you? Is it because there's no opportunity because you didn't hear yeah. because, you know, something got in your way, your schedule changed, you got sick. Yeah. Like there's, you just forgot. Like sometimes we forget, yeah. you know, like we're humans. Totally. So I, I intend to love my wife. And then sometimes I forget <laughs> to get the milk, <laughs> you know, put down the toilet seat. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Oh, I intend to, I didn't mean it. Doesn't I mean, I hate you. <laughs> But then sometimes people like don't care like what yeah. the Lord says. Yeah. You know, they're they're playing some kind of Christian game. And you know, so some of those responses are like, no problem, brother, sister. And some of them are actually quite severe. I love the conversation that we're having. I think I'm just imagining as a listener, if they're like trying to figure out, okay, well, all right, well, practically, what does this mean for me? And yeah, if there are certain things that are more sure. severe, like someone who doesn't care or whatever we're deeming as severe it's like yeah well then yeah how in the world do you navigate that uh in a way that is like both it's true of the father right like the father is is loving uh and part of his love is correction and it's not correction that isn't based in love or uh so it's like how do i how do i do that how do i inhabit that space of like okay i am doing my best to like mirror and honor and not replicate, but be the voice of Jesus in your life as best as I can discern it in this moment uh, and caution you brother or sister that 
this is an issue and you really got to get right with God in a way that like they receive and they, you can't control that. Right. And I, I imagine there are stories that each of you carry of trying to hold somebody accountable in mission in a, you know, grace free available way and them still receiving it as judgment or condemnation. And even if it's like the entire community to feel like, Oh, well, this whole group is actually judgmental in a way. Um, I, I think I'm just trying to like tease out some of that for the listener. That's that's uh, that's all. Which I do think peer coaching is an interesting thing that you guys have hit on because as you're talking about, you know, it, and it, I guess I had questions around logistics. It sounds like some of that is a matter of pairing up or getting in groups of three and kind of asking each other questions. Uh, I am curious about the the correlation or the relationship between peer coaching and leaders staying the course, like, or leaders just having a better discernment on when is the time to, I guess, metaphorically shake the dust off their feet. Um, And so, yeah, I just didn't know uh, if you guys had anything about that. Like, have you seen a relationship between those two things? Have you had experiences uh, in dealing with maybe more severe apathetic disciples and how you handled that? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain like just logistically, there's a lot of different ways to go around about the peer coaching. Like you said, it could. And Jeremy mentioned earlier, like people break off into pairs and do this. Or um, in our own experience, I know Tommy, you and I have done this a few times, but you might make it like once a month, like that. We're doing it all the together. Whole gathering, the we're whole just night. having this open conversation, yeah. and everybody has a turn. You know, yep. like this is peer coaching night, the whole gathering, the whole night is just peer coaching and everybody gets a turn. Um, or you could do it just weekly over dinner. Like if you do dinner together or you do brunch together or something like that. Um, but it's the, the, it's not that everybody gets a turn. You're doing it weekly and it's just like two or three people, uh, get to kind of share openly. Um, so again, it kind of sets the tone every single week that like this is who we are, this is what we do. We're always going to talk about it. Last last week we did ours as a as a our time of worship. Hmm. So we started it as worship to basically say like God has spoken to us, and we want to underneath the grace of the cross, kind of talk about that. Like what are we hitting, and how's that going, and what are the barriers, and what where do we need Jesus to show up? That was kind of the framing of it. It's like, where do we need Jesus to show up? And then that led us into intercession and like crying out for God to show up. But it was all connected to where he thinks, where we, where we think he is calling us to, to represent him. Also, where do we need him to show up? Because the people don't actually need us. They need Jesus, you know, mm. and then leading us into a time of intercession. So for us, it was a time of worship. So mm. same thing, Lucas is like, there's so many ways to, yeah. to engage in this where it's, it's natural, it's conversation, it's family time, it's worshipful, but it is us talking about the concrete ways that we're trying to represent Jesus or be ambassadors in the world and, yeah. and, and the good stuff and the bad stuff and the mistakes and the laziness and the apathy and, you know, but then flipping it and saying prayer and resurrection and the grace of God and the power of God and, you know, those type of things. So it's, you know, I, I I haven't really come up with like a technique per se, uh, other than 
I do think consistently I frame it around like the love of Jesus for you. Like we're in, we're in the trust tree. We're in the grace tree. Like it's okay. Like I I feel like we always have to remind each other if we're going to talk about and feel free and talking about failures, Um, you know, and then also the, the need to like respond to Jesus and the need for Jesus to show up. I do think that's important. Like mm-hmm. a part as far as part of the pure coaching, like mm-hmm. we need to show up in response to Jesus, but we also need to ask Jesus to show up or like, we need to be acknowledging that the actual need for him, that the con so just cause I have a spiritual conversation doesn't mean it's a conversation of power. It's just, a, mm-hmm. it could be just a conversation between two humans. That's not an evil thing, but that's not exactly what we're going for either. And I think that could be a part of the peer coaching process. Like it, where, what does the leader need to do? There's all the logistics. Where do you fit it into a meeting? What's the rhythm? All that stuff. But it's like, but what are the themes? Like thematically, what really needs to take place? Um, th- those are things that I, I keep pretty consistent. Yeah. I was thinking about some of the, you know, the difficult conversations and how easy it is to avoid those or rationalize those or let those go go on. And uh, Tommy, you said something earlier in this podcast that I've been thinking about that um, something to the effect that leadership is also about what you allow. Mm -hmm. And I think recognizing that um, avoiding difficult conversations begins to define the group begins to define. And so you're not, not only not helping that person, but you're actually beginning to erode things for the group as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think again, um, inherent benefits to this, this is like, like things that you jewels and gems that you inherit when you, you, you go about this for a while. One of the other things is that there's a way to go about coaching that makes it about that leader and what they're experiencing and the barriers they're experiencing and how they're perceiving uh, what, what they're, that, how they're interpreting that experience and what they're perceiving about themselves or the Lord. That's all good and it's super helpful. That's a kind of coaching that should be done. But there's also this other thing where what happens, what happens when you get in this coaching stuff is that people, when, when you have conversations that are less about them and more about what are you seeing God do out there where you are, and then you're piping all that into a room with a like every everybody in the room inherits this really big picture of what God is up to that they had no idea was happening, you know. Um, so that's another thing. Like it's 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 all coaching, but it's like sometimes you can make it about them, and sometimes you can actually make it about the field. Like report to us from the field, and. Um, you know, I, there's again logistically, there's all kinds of ways to do that. But I, I, there's been times in the past where we've had a microchurch that just kept a dry erase board that everybody put at least two names on. Uh, you know, we this was way back in uh, campus ministry days. We had this tool called Two Plus, which was like you, there's there's two names of people that you're like really intentionally inter- praying for every day and trying to like dump your life into and find opportunities to share with. And you had to know their names, like, and you pray for their names every day. So we, and I, uh, we had a community that 
everybody had their two, at least two names, sometimes three or four. And we just put all those names on a dry erase board. And every single week, um, we, the community would pray for all the names on that dry erase board. And oftentimes you were praying for people that were not your names. You're praying for other people's names, like names that you don't even know. Um, and you just keep it, you keep that whiteboard like tucked behind a couch or something during the week. And whenever the community is together, whether that's once a week or twice a week or three times a week, you just pull that out and you're spending time praying for each other's names. And over time you get to see, like over the course of a year, you get to hear reports or see like what God is doing, like God answering some of those prayers, Mm -hmm. you know, um, for those people. And it builds faith in the, in the community and it expands people's imagination of what God is up to all over the place. And it, and it helps people persevere, you know, um, cause they're seeing what their friends and their communities are up to. And, um, so that's just another like piece of it. Like, but the coaching, the internal coaching, like experiential coaching, you mentioned it earlier, Tommy, I do think it's really helpful uh, you know, we talked earlier about like the community being able to help name what when God is pleased with someone or like what the, what the Lord is up to from the perception of the community to be able to like help that person um, interpret that. But you mentioned earlier, like sometimes when people get to that point where they want to quit or they want to move on, like they're not sure if um, if they should shake the dust off, like if you know, when things haven't been going well for a while and they start thinking like, well, if I have done, have I done everything I can, I'm supposed to pivot. That's a really hard decision for somebody to make by themselves. Hmm. And I, I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure if people should make that decision by themselves. Hmm. Um, and I've been a part of communities where people have kind of presented that to the community. Like, I think I'm supposed to, this isn't working. And I think I'm supposed to to pivot and do something totally different. And the community told them, that's not what we're seeing. Like we actually think God is still at work. I understand this is very hard. Um, and, and again, being very gentle about that conversation, like hearing what they're saying and what they're seeing and experiencing and being able to identify like, no, I actually think the Lord is very present and at work here and here and here. And I think you're still passionate about this. I think if you step away from this, you're going to regret it. Um, and there's been situations where people come to the community and we say, Finally, you're realizing it. We've been telling you to turn, to pivot away from that thing or that community. We've been, we've been thinking you're spinning your wheels this whole time for months and months and months. Um, and there's, there's these, there's this other pocket of people in your life that I think would be really hungry for, uh, uh, to receive a message from beautiful feet, you know, and, but you've been committed over here and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think some of those really hard decisions that people are going to run into that they're toiling about internally, it's really helpful to have a community of people to, to dialogue about that with. Mm-hmm. That's good. And maybe that gets me. I mean, I want to be sensitive to time. We are kind of coming to the end of our time together. But I mean, just maybe as a last, I don't know, nugget or grenade to throw into the, the situation. Um as you talk about peer coaching, as you talk about praying for one another's people and just the the reporting of the the harvest field to one another, I, I think there is something that I've seen. I know Jeremy has done in his house church that I think is maybe really an interesting way to approach uh, accountability to mission, and that is as we talk about you know different groups having different 
people that they're reaching and, you know, different individuals within the house church having different missions or spheres that they feel called to. Uh, I have seen the way that maybe Jeremy in your house church, people have rallied around somebody uh, in their missional sphere. And they say, hey, I can't be with you in your break room to talk to your coworkers. But if you wanted to have some sort of gathering for your coworkers, I will help you put that thing on. And there's been a way that they've helped each other to run outreaches for each other that I think is a really interesting approach to missional accountability, which I don't know if that's what the intention was, but oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> if you, if, oh yeah, it was, it was like part of the, the common agreement or rule of life was that you're going to throw an outreach for people you're trying to reach once a semester, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody would, everybody agreed to that, that they're, they're trying to reach out to people, but then they're going to throw a party, but they become the party master you know, and, and so they have to design it. And then the rest of the community becomes helpers of the party. So they, so if, you know, it, it can look any way. I mean, it, if it's too many people for the entire home church to show up, then it's like, yeah, you just need three of us. So then who do you want to come to this party? You know, but we had like house concerts and uh, auth, you know, for musicians and artists. And we had like a, a reading. So like, like authors and stuff like that, where the whole house church participated in setting up this one person to succeed in reaching the folks they're trying to reach, you know, to game nights and game nights. When Eric did game nights, he didn't really want the whole house church. He didn't want the kids because it was, it'd be weird to the demographic he was trying to reach. So it was like the kids had to stay home, but everybody was aware, Hey, tonight, Friday night, I'm doing a game night outreach with all these people. Will you be praying for it? And can I get three people to come join me to like, just be friendly to these people, you know, that type of stuff. So it was a mechanism to, to help people say, Hey, you know, if if I can't throw a party because I don't know anybody, well, then I need to go find some people Mm -hmm. that might come to a party (laughs) that I'm throwing, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's cool to see the overlap of, of worship community mission. You know, this, that, how I mean, you see that in this conversation of just the obedience to God, the community uh, coming around and supporting them. And just yeah, how cool it is to have people praying for you, you know, it, particularly in maybe a difficult season or uh, trying something new um, and people that are really, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a, such a beautiful Piece of community. Mm, yeah. Maybe that's a, a good as place as any to, to wrap up this episode. And so, guys, thank you so much for hopping on this podcast. If you're listening and you're wondering, okay, where do I go from here? Like, this is helpful. I'm really curious. I want to learn more. Uh, there are some opportunities. So, I am currently looking at undergroundnetwork.org, uh, in which there are two webinars that are coming up. Uh, and so, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, where do I go from here? Let me tell you October 26th, uh, from 2 to 3 p.m., uh, Jeremy, Stacy, the Movements Department of the Underground, they are running a How to Start a Microchurch webinar. And so that's going to get into uh, the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts of worship, community, and mission, uh, the essence, the tools that kind of define those things and kind of contribute to 
being the church that you feel like God has called you to be. So if you are somebody who hasn't started yet, or maybe you started, but just need a refresher in that language, uh, that is as good of a place as any to start. And if you're thinking October 26, two to three doesn't work for me, I am curious, but I can't do that time. Have no fear. November 1st, seven to 8 PM, uh, they are running that webinar again. So that is how to start a microchurch. You can find more information at undergroundnetwork.org. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been Microchurches. Until next time.